Hello, pod people. I'm DA and welcome to Millennial Edition. Thanks for joining us. In this episode, we have a special guest joining us, millennial progressive candidate Russ Serincione, who is running for Congress in New Jersey's 6th District. Remember to subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Twitter to be a part of the discussion. Okay, so let's dive right in. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your work as a government attorney and fighting for housing rights. Hey, so thanks for so much for having me. And yeah, so I'm a government attorney and I work for a state agency. Our job is to enforce the rent laws and we're always brought into court fighting for all of our decisions. And so here's an example. About two weeks ago, uh, bunch of tenants were organizing and complaining about uh, violations of the law. And the landlord's argument were essentially that they didn't fill out a form properly and therefore their right to organize shouldn't be recognized. So at the very basic standpoint, tenants have the right to organize and complain about situations in their buildings. But even then, landlords are upset about tenants organizing. So what they did was hire expensive lawyers in really nice suits to show up in court and tell the judge that the tenants didn't fill out this form properly, so they're supposed to be, you know, filling out these forms properly and hiring the right attorneys. So my job in the courtroom was basically to tell the judge tenants are within their rights and we have the right to adjudicate this claim. So really what that teaches me is landlords have the money to spend to even fight the people's right to organize. Yeah. That's, oh my God, that's so fascinating. Um, so now, how long have you lived in New Jersey's 6th Congressional District? That's a great question. So my wife and my son, we moved here over a year ago. So we were essentially gentrified out of Staten Island. We couldn't afford a house there. We couldn't afford. So we chose Old Bridge because our son will have the opportunity to go to a blue ribbon school, which in New Jersey, that's the actually countrywide. Those are the rankings for great schools. And, you know, our story really is a lot like many others in America. We're a nation of migrants and immigrants searching for better opportunities for our families. And also, we came to New Jersey because we've had strong ties with New Jersey for a really long time. I went to school in New Jersey. Uh, my wife and I reconnected down the shore. Now, where did you go to school in New Jersey? So I went to Seton Hall in South Orange. I'm a Seton Hall graduate. Hey. Okay. Hey. Hey. Go Pirates. Um, so yeah, Seton Hall undergrad and Seton Hall Law School in Newark. That's awesome. Yeah, Seton Hall people are changing the world, right? I think so. The 6th Congressional District is said to be about 67% white, 10% black, 17% Asian, and 20% Hispanic, with a medium income of seventy to 80000 a year. Do you know, um, do you happen to know offhand, the breakdowns in the different age ranges, and more specifically, how many millennials and Gen Zers live in that area? So... Right now, millennials are actually the biggest voting block in the district. Wow. Second and third place go to the 35 to 55-year-olds. Wow. Okay. So you have a very, very, very large millennial and Gen Zer. Um, you're living in a very large millennial and Gen Zer area. Yeah. So it makes sense because there's four colleges in our district too. So a lot of people are going to college and either living in the area or, you know, making their lives here. So Gen Zers are actually in fourth behind the other age groups we just spoke about. So millennials, uh, 35 to 55 year olds are second and third. So 
it's actually interesting too because the medium in you mentioned the medium income and this district is one of the most well off in the country so we have a younger generation and we have a, a generation with pretty good incomes as well so now the most important question is how consistently do they vote well i guess the story the story really is right of the story of america is the young people haven't been voting consistently but the last election saw the biggest turnout of our age groups the millennials ever and, you know, it even happened countrywide, too. It's a countrywide trend. And to me, yeah, so to me, the millennials, the the youth are really getting involved in politics. And it's so exciting because that's just a notion that we all actually we really are starting to care about politics and our governance. And it's such a good outlook for the future. Right, right. Why do you think that millennials and Gen Zers are not voting and just like nationwide? Obviously, the last election we saw, like you said, the largest outcome. But why do you think that millennials and Gen Zers sit home? So I think establishment politics for the past like 20, 30 years has really kind of failed to provide a really great vision for the future, right? Everybody always says, you know, I don't vote because it doesn't matter. They're both the same. And I think that there's a bit of truth to that in the past, at least. The difference between Democrats and Republicans have been thus far mostly social differences, right? Because they both agree on things like endless war, corporate tax evasion, and a tax avoidance, and, you know, a really pro-business mindset. But now I think the younger generations are getting more interested because the new generation of politicians are offering really, really great visions for the future, really strong proposals for working Americans. Now, how do you plan on convincing the older generations who have re-elected Frank Pallone, who is the incumbent, a Democrat backed by Nancy Pelosi and someone who has served in the position for the last 26 years to kind of switch course and put their trust in you, who's a progressive? Yeah, great question. Uh, so I think every generation, all of Americans understand that right now America is facing a bunch of different crises, right? We're, we're facing income inequality at its worst levels since the Great Depression. Uh, we're facing climate crisis. We're facing endless wars. So I think that the best way to convince the older generations is to help them understand or, you know, convince them that the situation that we're in right now, it's not an accident. It's the result of poor policy decisions over the past couple of decades. And, you know, Frank Pallone has been part of those poor policy decisions that have got us here. It's also about reminding the generations that have been involved in politics about who we really are as Democrats. We are the we are the party that gave us the weekends. We electrified the nation. We we created the civil rights movement. We helped the civil rights movement get civil rights today. We we gave women the right to vote. We've done so much in the past. Like we had the most popular president of all time, FDR, have four terms as a president, and they had to change the rules so that he couldn't be elected again. That's the kind of policies and vision that we have to return to as progressive Democrats. That's what we're talking about. Really remembering who we are as Democrats. Now you said. Frank Pallone was involved in making those bad policies. Policies like what? Well, he considers the, uh, the Obamacare and the Affordable Care Act as one of his crowning achievements in Congress. But we all know that, you know, that law was drafted by the Heritage Foundation. It was drafted by right-wingers. And and essentially, if you're looking at, if we're looking at Obamacare today, we know that Obamacare was better than what we had before, but we still have a lot of way to go. We need Medicare for all system. So Pallone's idea really is he drafted Obamacare. He loves Obamacare. He wants to strengthen Obamacare. Okay, great. You know what? Obamacare leaves 
30 million people uninsured in this country. Obamacare has led to people having to choose between insulin or their rent. Obamacare has not done enough for American people. So I believe in Medicare for all because it will save lives, save money, and it will cover everybody and it will save actually two and a half billion dollars in New Jersey in their state budget. So that his policy standpoints there, we had at the time when we enacted Obamacare, we had a Democratic supermajority. You know, we could have passed anything we wanted. And they essentially went in the back room, made a deal with the insurance companies, and that that's the that's policy proposals that they put forth. But what would you say to someone who says that was the best they could do at the time, possibly because, you know, those who had participated in Obamacare, this idea that healthcare is a right and should be affordable, lost they lost the House and they lost the Congress. They they paid a very, very large price just for Obamacare. What would you say to that? That's a good that's a good point. So it's important to know that the Democrats had a a single payer public option on the table even at that time. A public option would have been such a better better deal for Americans even at that time. And it was on the table and all of a sudden it disappeared after the insurance companies had their hand on writing the law. Obamacare was much better than what we had in the past. That's definitely true. But you know what? Now Americans want Medicare for all and the people who wrote Obamacare are still lagging behind. They're not listening to public opinion. They think that Obamacare is the idea of the past and the idea, the idea of the future. And we know that it's not working today. So I always say, be careful of the past because it holds you back, right? right? And Obamacare is maybe the plan of the past and the future is covering everybody with a Medicare for all system. And the people who drafted Obamacare, like Frank Pallone, they're holding on to that old system because it gives money. It allows the insurance companies to be the middleman. It, it allows the insurance companies to extort Americans. And those insurance companies and those pharmaceutical companies are in turn donating lots of money to the corporate centrist Democrats campaign. So really, Obamacare is the past, the future is Medicare for all. And any any politician who thinks that we should keep Obamacare really should get out of the way of progress. Which leads us to our next question, because I'm curious, what is your policymaking experience? So I actually drafted a, I was a, a a lead drafter in creating a bill that protects manufactured home tenants from predatory lending. And that's a that's a law now in New York. So, you know, the policy wasn't mine. The policy was uh, the higher ups in the in the organization that I work for. But, you know, I, what is the organization you work for? Oh yeah, so I I'm currently a an attorney with uh, New York State Division of Homes and Community Renewal, and I'm actually uh, I'm actually leaving my position in two weeks to to go full time campaigning. So there I'm a I'm a, a litigation attorney primarily, but I also work on drafting legislation that our agency wants and that our agency sees as uh, tenant protections that we need. So I have I have a good amount of legislative experience because you know I've drafted laws and and they've become law. They've, they've become co-sponsored by some of the state legislature. So I, I know what it takes to draft the law and, and and I'm willing and I'm ready to take that experience to the federal level too. But what about those who would say that Congress is just kind of a different, is a different animal, but you know what, let me, let's segue into kind of the, the the climate within the Democratic Party right now. What are your thoughts on the alleged rifts between the establishment Democratic leadership and this new wave of progressive members? Because as you know, Frank Pallone is, he's the person tasked in the Democratic Party to kind of rein in the left side of the party. And is, he's much often praised for his leadership style. What are your thoughts on all of that? So there's definitely a, there's definitely a rift right now in the, between the establishment Democrats and the, the new 
wave, right? So we have AOC and, and, and the squad really promoting platforms that benefit working people. And the establishment Democrats, they have been in power for a very long time. The way that they got power was talking to big money interests and raising millions and billions of dollars from the big corporate interests. And, you know, it makes sense that they want to continue that pattern because that's how they came to power. But the new wave of progressive members really has the has the right notion, right? So we're, we're trying to return to a government of the people by rejecting big money, by saying no to, to corporate lobbyists. And the establishment Democrats, they're holding on to power. They want to maintain their power because that's essentially what they've been uh, paid to do, right? They, they've gotten donations from the big corporations to keep in power and keep the wave of progressives down. That's that's, inhib that's an inhibitor to progress. That's an inhibitor to American progress. If we want to get better as a country, we need new ideas, fresh ideas, and people who are talking about solving the problems that millions of people face on a day-to-day -day basis. So trying to rein in the left right? It's counterintuitive to a democratic process. Democracy is supposed to listen to the people. And we know that the vast majority of Americans want to do a few big things. So we know that the vast majority of people want to end corruption, stop the pay-to-play politics, and get, kick the lobbyists out of Washington. Well, you know what? The current centrist Democrats, they're against that. We know that progressive Americans and most Americans want a Medicare for all system. The centrist Democrats are against that. We know that the majority of- Why do you think they're against that? Good question. And to be honest, their donors have paid them to be against those policies. They they benefit from a corporate. They they benefit from the current system as it is, and we know that there's pay-to-play politics. We know that there's corruption in politics. We know that uh, we need to get big money out of politics. But in their opinion, they sided with the big money decades ago, since like the Bill Clinton era, because they were afraid of Republicans getting all the all the corporate money. And when you make a when you make a when you take when a politician takes money from a donor, the donor's not giving just because they like the person, even though I know Frank Pallone is a, is a nice guy, I think he's a good guy as a person, donors give, like big corporate donors give because they want a favor. They want they want a return on their investment. They're in fact legally obligated to get a, a return on their investment. And you know, with, with the centrist Democrats, with, with Frank Pallone, they really have gotten those returns. So then I have to ask you, what do you say to people that criticize candidates for challenging the establishment in their own parties, which some have argued could potentially split the vote and hand a Democratic stronghold, which which we understand New Jersey 6 is, to a Republican. So I think that any candidate who takes money from the fossil fuel industry or any politician that takes money from the fossil fuel industry deserves a primary challenge. I think that any- Is, is Frank Pallone taking it from the fossil fuel industry? Yeah, he takes money from Dominion Gas. He takes money from TransCanada, uh, who built the Keystone Pipeline. Um, yeah, so he's been taking fossil fuel money. So anybody who takes money from the fossil fuel industry is not going to give us the laws that we need to regulate them because it cuts into their bottom line. And any, honestly, any establishment Democrat that takes big money has a conflict of interest with the people of the district. So that's my core belief. If I don't think that, I think that the establishment Democrats have conflicts of interest with the people in our district. They're not listening to us. And it's obvious. In fact, there's quotes from other congressmen stating that my representative will not bend to the will of the people. He will not listen to the people. And uh, 
they deserve challenges because it's part of the de- democratic process. The kind of the kind of candidates that we're presenting now. Like I'm a candidate who believes in listening to the people, listening to the people in our district and their concerns and their needs. If there's no way a Republican will ever beat me on that platform, Republicans have no platform. Their platforms are hatred and division, and we're, we're going the exact opposite. Right? We're we're doing everything the right way. We we are listening to people, br- talking about unity and coming together because we're all in this together. There's no shot a Republican has any chance in this district when we're talking about things like that. So let me segue into, can you, because everyone is very confused about some of the new policies and legislations coming out of the progressive wing of the Democratic Party. I know that you are a supporter of the Green New Deal. Can you just give a little bit of an explanation of the Green New Deal and then why you support it? Yeah, so the Green New Deal as it exists now, right, is a resolution in the House that calls for some really big, really, really big things. So we need to mobilize our massive resources that we have as a country to save our planet. The Green New Deal resolution calls for 100% renewable energy by 2030. You know, that's that's 10 plus short years that we have. And that's actually in line with what the Union of Concerned Scientists has called for. We have such a major problem with pollution in this country as well. So uh, we're going to clean up the environment. We're going to clean up our air, our water, and even the ground that we all, you know, live on. So the scale of the problem is also mentioned in the Green New Deal resolution. There's going to be a trillion dollar law, countrywide loss in property value. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna get see a massive hit to our GDP. And if we don't do, take action now, then we're pretty much going to pay for it. 10 times over over the next 10 15 years but what do you say to people who are like that's all a hoax you just that you're being an alarmist well i'll just point them to the recent the recent facts right we just had a 105 degree day in new jersey we have uh if you look at the facts we've had more tornadoes in new jersey in the past 15 years we've had twice the amount of tornadoes in the past 15 years in the past 100 years we've had we've already had towns experiencing flooding that never have before the the evidence is here you know hurricane maria was a, a huge huge hurricane the most deadly hurricane in our history and it just happened uh, about two years ago right so these you know nature is sending us the warning signals now we're having we're having droughts and wildfires to the scale that we've never seen before and we're having heat waves we're having we're having mass die-offs mass extinctions of animals on animals and insects on scales we've never seen before we're already getting hints from mother nature and we have to look at those and we have to look at those and recognize what they are they're the warning signs of the climate crisis, the disaster we're about to face. So I, I mean, look, common sense says if you leave a car on in your house, what happens to everybody who lives in the house? Right. Yeah. The carbon monoxide poisoning, right? Yeah. Yeah. So we're do, we're essentially doing the exact same thing to our planet on a on a different scale. Um. So the, the climate crisis is obviously here. Just have to pay attention. And honestly, the fossil fuel companies have been spending billions of dollars trying to trick Americans into uh, disbelieving the climate science. Almost a hundred percent of scientists say that we're in a mass extinction, the Anthropocene period, where we've altered the Earth to a unrecognizable uh, way that it would be without humans, right? Right. So, like, why do you think that there is a resistance to progressive policies? What is this pushback that we're seeing? So, progressive policies, a lot of them talk about making things better for people. And sometimes that might be against the interests of big money. So, big money is really forming coalitions between themselves against progressives. So you'll see how the mainstream media will 
the mainstream media has been, uh, you know, attacking all of these policies with uh, for working people. So, you know, for years they've been fighting against the $15 minimum wage because it cuts into the corporate bottom line. But what, all we're asking for is for people to be paid a fair fair wage because they work really hard and they're struggling to get by. If you work 40 hours a week, you should be able to be able to have a good standard of living. So the pushback is coming because there's a lot of big money interests involved that were seen as a threat. But you know what? Big money has had it so well in this country for so long that they have to give a fair share to people who are working hard and Americans here. If we want a stable country, we need the people in this country to have stability. And we're just asking for a little piece going back to working people. Which um, kind of brings me to to the next question. You know, the rise of Donald Trump and a lot of his demagoguery was surrounding this idea that he was a billionaire with money and that, you know, everyone was going to be rich. What do you think of Donald Trump and what does it mean for our nation currently? And what does it mean mean going into this next election in 2020 so when trump started started getting popular the first the first question i asked people who i knew like were thinking about supporting him was how do you expect somebody who's been using a gold toilet for his entire life to understand your struggles and fight for your struggles in washington and you know what he just doesn't get it he doesn't understand what people are going through donald trump came to power because he filled a void that the corporate centrist democrat was not filling he ran on a platform of draining the swamp ending corruption on getting Americans better health insurance. He ran on a platform of redoing trade deals. You know, these are all platforms that benefit working people. And those are all platforms that the corporate centrist Democrat could not fill. So he filled that void with, with fake and disingenu- uh, disingenuity but uh, pe- because people are upset with establishment Democrats, establishment politics. Many people would say that he ran on a platform of hatred and white nationalism and that he had this platform of returning the white male back to its rightful place after having to deal with a, a black man in power and then now a woman is running. What would you say to that? Yeah, there's no question that that Trump also activated that fear and hatred uh, in, in a lot of people, you know, because people feel they've been left behind and they want somebody to blame. And the easiest targets are those in power. So Trump manipulated people into thinking that, you know, the enemy is, is the people that look different than them. So he's a con man and he's obviously good at it. So the way that we beat him everywhere, everywhere is by actually giving true economic policy proposals, actually telling people, look, the problems in our country are not because of somebody who looks different than the problems in our country is because we're being exploited on a widespread scale by these multinational international corporations. The problem is, is that government stopped listening to people and started caring about their donors more. So what we're doing is we're returning the government back to the people by rejecting all of their corporate money. So Trump may have may have won with hate last time, but you know what beats hate? Love. Love and inclusiveness. We will beat we will beat his hate with that. And I'll give you the final the final word. What would you like everyone to know about you and, and, and the race that you are running for the congressional seat in New Jersey's 6th District? So right now we're in a midst of like a defining moment for our country and our planet. And it's really easy for us to become overwhelmed or feeling a little bit of despair. But right now is actually the most important time where you know being depressed about politics is definitely it's not an option this is the time when we have to look at 
all the different forces in society that are really pushing us down and it's our time to fight back we have to start we have to fight against the oligarchy and the authoritarianism that we see right now and right now you know people across the country are doing that and it's very very inspiring so if you have somebody like that fighting for for you join their campaign do some volunteer work make a phone call text talk to people we can't write off the people who are conned by by Trump and by Republicans. We have to bring them in and explain, you know, and talk to them about why they feel the way they do and understand really their point of view. And persuasion really starts with just planting seeds of there is another way than the Republican or the right wing. There is another way of the corporate Democrats that have been fighting for their corporate donors for decades. The way is bringing all working people together and fighting for a fair share of the massive wealth in this country. So our campaign is about doing that. We're, I've taken the progressive economic pledge. So I've pledged to pro fight against corruption. I've pledged to fight for the Green New Deal and a living wage for all of us and a federal jobs guarantee. I've also pledged to fight for free public college and student debt cancellation. Also, finally, I think one of the greatest challenges of our time is fighting for Medicare for all for, to cover everybody in this country and guarantee health care as a right. There's 700,000 New Jerseyans that don't have health insurance. And, you know, as I stand up there and I fight for these people and I'm talking to big crowds and making speeches about these issues, sometimes I'm afraid as I get up there. But the moment that I start thinking about the people that I'm fighting for, you know, the, I've spoken to students who cut their education short because they couldn't afford it. I've spoken to veterans who are homeless when they came home from fighting for us overseas that couldn't afford a mental health care and couldn't afford a home. So these are the people that inspire us. And when we think about who we're fighting for, we have such a, such a really strong, strong reason for doing this. I mean, my personal reason to get me in here was I'm fighting for my son, my two-year-old son. I really care about his future. And to me, the greatest threat is climate crisis. And the people in power now who are not addressing it are the greatest threat to my family. So I'm fighting for him too. This is personal for me. This is my family. This is our time to step up and fight. And we're going to win because we're all going on the right side of history, on the correct side of history. And I really appreciate anybody to check out our website. It's russforus2020.com. And I really appreciate if anybody could could, uh, could throw a couple bucks our way because we're fighting a major establishment Democrat. And so thank you so much for this opportunity. I really appreciate it fascinating interview thank you so much for being here and taking time out of your campaign to talk to us and thank you to all our listeners thanks for joining us for this episode of millennial edition and i look forward to engaging with you all soon